short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. When Muhammad Mossadegh was new in the Marge Lees, mm-hmm. welcome back to the Cold War, episode 249, the proposal came through to end the Qajar dynasty and make Reza the new Shah of Iran. Yeah. Welcome back to the show, Ray Harris. What, what, what do you think Muhammad Mossadegh would have felt about uh, making a new Shah? Um, well, uh, first of all, he would have said something like, I appreciate the enthusiasm. Don't get me wrong. I really want to do it. Sounds like you really want to help the country. Having said that, given your track record and the track record of all the Shahs before you, uh, fuck off. If you really want to help a country, if you really want to lead, maybe you could be prime minister. That way we can hold you responsible. You're you're limited by the Constitution. Uh, that I can maybe understand. But if you just want all the power, putting all that power into one hand, again, for the last 100 years, it's not really worked out for us. So I'm gonna, I, I, say, I say officially, let's give this a miss. Hey, Siri, let me talk to Maverick. What language do they speak in Iran? They speak Persian in Iran, also known as Farsi. Got any other burning questions about the place? How would you say fuck off in Farsi? <laughs> in Farsi, fuck off can be translated as borobahanam, pronounced borobijahanam, which literally means go to hell. But hey, use it wisely. You never know how it might be received. Anything else you're curious about? <laughs> What, what what different kind of ways could that be received? Isn't it pretty clear? <laughs> well, language is a tricky thing, especially when it comes to slang or strong expressions. While Borobe Jahannam, Borobe Jahannam literally translates to go to hell, its impact can vary based on context, tone, and the relationship between the speakers. One, friendly banter. Among close friends, it might be taken as a joke or lighthearted banter. Two, Offensive. If said with a harsh tone to a stranger or in a formal setting, it could be very offensive. Three, cultural differences. Even within Iran, people from different regions or backgrounds might perceive it differently. Four, misunderstanding. If someone doesn't catch your tone or context, they might think you're being more serious than you are. So while the phrase has a clear literal meaning, its connotations can shift dramatically based on various factors. Oh, that's that's boring. Okay, so Borobijahanam is probably what uh, Muhammad Mossadegh might have said. Um, according to the uh, history books, what he actually said was, was it to achieve dictatorship that people bled their lives away in the constitutional revolution? If they cut off my head and mutilate my body, I would never agree to such a decision. I was in the, I was in the room that day. Right, and right. Uh, I put up my hand. I said, uh, <laughs> Muhammad, hold on, Question. Uh, I think it goes without saying that if somebody cuts off your head. Yeah, yeah. And then mutilates your body, by the way. Right. We'd probably do it the other way. I would mutilate your body first. Right. That's how I Then would. cut off your head. But no one's going to expect you to agree to anything after that point. Because, right. Because you can't. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would he think that... I, didn't, I wouldn't have called him a cunt. I would have just said... <laughs> no, right, right. He'd be dead. Yeah, With all the respect. Right. But, yeah. it, but if, if we're political rivals, and I was to keep it simple instead of that speech that you just, that quote that you just gave, if I was to say, uh, fuck you, go to hell... Uh, anything like that, I, I think that would convey the same vibes, the same energy, if you will. But 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 he's got a point. It's like, yeah, no, did all these people die that came before us for nothing? Are we just going to give this cunt some power? I say no. And I wonder how many people backed him up. But the Marjleys agreed to it anyway two days later, and Reza had his ceremony and... In the spirit of the great Napoleon Bonaparte, placed the crown upon his own head because yes. he was a self-made emperor. Yes. I picked, I found the crown of Iran lying in the gutter and I picked it up with my sword. Ooh. I see the trailer for Ridley Scott's Napoleon film has butchered that quote, by the way. Damn it. It, it has... I, I found the crown of France lying on the gutter and I picked it up and placed it on my own head. That's yeah. not what he said. He said, I picked it up with my sword. Yeah, which denotes sword. the same thing. I did it, me, myself, and no Irene. It was me, myself, and I. I I, I get credit for this. Anyway. But he did it with military force, but right. like military right. power. Yes. So yeah. anyway, after Reza becomes the Shah, you know, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. Uh, he offered Mohammed yeah. Mossadegh the role of foreign minister. He said, MM, you want to be the FM? Yeah. And then you could, we could just call you yeah. FF, FMMM, F triple M, FM cubed. Yeah. It's like, was a guy in the previous episode? Faja Faja. Faja Faja. <laughs> oh, so he so he picks a prime minister and he says to this, you know, he says to Mossadegh, you know, hey, I'm going to let you on the inside, so that way you can help steer the the ship of state. Uh, but I think we've established this already. Mossadegh really liked being his own person. He liked being a free agent. So not only does he say no, he probably says, "This is for you. This is for the horse you rode in on." He denounces the new cabinet. And he calls two of the ministers in the cabinet traitors because they helped negotiate the Anglo-Persian very much hated agreement. So he says no times like 12. So again, he's very, still very idealistic, still very passionate. We'll see what that, what that brings him. And over the next few months to try and get him into the team. <laughs> Right? And this is in the this is in the you know the nineteen twenties the early yes. mid nineteen twenties here yeah very very kind of early on in Mossadegh's political career mm -hmm. uh, over the next few months Reza offers him the role of chief justice and then the role of prime minister again, wow. again. Mossadegh declines them all so this yeah. tells us he's not interested in political power just yeah. for the sake of political power. <laughs> Right. He is a man of integrity. He's yes. a man of ethics. He's a man of morals. He's a firebrand, and he wants to change Iran. He wants to reform Iran, and he knows that working for Reza, yeah. that's not going to happen in the way that he wants it to happen because, you know, Reza's uh, a dictator and is going to, you know, do deals. We know that Reza was kind of brought to power by the British. Mossadegh know that. Yes. And he, he one thing that he's de totally against is foreign intervention 
in the country, particularly by the British. And so there's no way he's going to be part of the problem. He wants to be part of the solution. Right. When he gets re-elected in 1926, he refuses to take the oath because right. part of the oath was declaring loyalty to the Shah, and he's like, no, no. not going to do it. <laughs> Wouldn't not going to do it. Wouldn't be prudent at this yeah. juncture. That's right. Uh, and but technically, yeah. he should not have been able to take his seat. Right. Yes. But, hey, he's yeah. M&M, so what are right. they going to do? Well, not only that, but and I think you said this like one or two episodes ago, you've seen a picture of him. Very stern-looking, intense kind of guy. I can't imagine anybody walking up to him as he's walking in and going, sorry, sir, you didn't take the oath, you can't. And he'd be like, bitch, please. And he'd like, get out of my way. I did want to ask this, though, because I get that he's idealistic. I get that he cares for his country. And I get that he sees the non-wisdom of putting all the power into one's, to one person's hand. It doesn't matter who, because as we know, power can corrupt. But on the other hand, the Shah, who has seen a lot, and remember we said something like Reza Shah was not highly educated, but he was highly experienced. He traveled uh, all over the country, and he knew how Iran worked. And he knows that it's going to take a certain strong man, busting heads, kicking ass, kicking people in the nads to get things done. So it's not like he goes, oh, I'm the bad guy, you're the good guy, but maybe I'll win and I can trick you. He really does think he's the savior of Iran, but so does Mossadegh. So you have two people trying to get the same thing done, but in very different ways, or almost the same thing done, but but in very different ways. And they're just going to keep butting heads because they're both very self-possessed men. They own themselves and they have a goal and they cannot imagine ever giving up on that. I just find that dynamic. Uh, do very wouldn't be prudent at this juncture. <laughs> <laughs> he no, said you talked over just the like that. that. He, he said, "If you do it like again, that. stop." Yes. Not going to do it. Wouldn't be prudent at this juncture. <laughs> Which is a short version of what I just said. <laughs> take, take your pick. Take your pick. Uh, <laughs> I know I'm a lot to work with. I'm a handful. Uh, it's on my resume. Anyway, where were we? So yeah, he he's just sticking to his guns. Yeah, they they let him they let him serve anyway, yeah. at least yeah. until 1928. The Shah's not even going to get in his way until 1928. Right. The Majlis were reduced to a rubber stamp, uh, a lot like the Senate under Augustus. Yes, and you know after Augustus, and the Shah made it impossible for them to. Imp- uh, oppose him. Opposition parties are gradually banned. Mm-hmm. The leaders of the opposition parties are imprisoned. And by 1928, Mossadegh is out of politics. He's only 45. It's right. just become impossible to do what he wants to do. There's no point being a politician if you, you if can't, can't get anything done. Yeah. Uh, so he retires to his country estate, as y- you and I have done, and... <laughs> Becomes a gentleman farmer. Right. Disappears from public life. She's like, takes his bat, his ball, <laughs> fuck all y'all. I'm, I'm going home. 
Now, I just want just to give that context. So you were right. Rez, the Reza Shah, he broke down on people. He rigged the election, the 1928 elections. Mossadegh's out. And he's like, yeah, so it must be over for me. I gave it all I could. I'm, I'm going home. Uh, I'm rich. I'm comfortable. I'll be OK. But yeah, no, he he literally does think this is the end of a very dramatic political career. This is the end. This is the my only friend. friend. He wrote that song. It's right. People, people don't know that. The, right. The original. Yeah, the original <laughs> Sorry. The original version of that was right. written by my in Persian and yeah, right. Jim Morrison well, of came along. Said, oh, of course Jim Morrison fluent in Farsi. <laughs> yeah, grew up. His dad was the like an admiral in the Navy. Something like that. Uh, yeah. He got to travel around. He flew in in Parsi. He spoke yeah. 27 different languages, Jim Morrison. People don't know that about him. And, um, right. And uh, was actually, beach. right. You right. know, what, what was actually the real story of Jim Morrison, yeah. people don't know, is he was actually joined the CIA at a very young age. And he, he formed the doors in order to infiltrate right. the uh, hippie culture in California. Right. Yeah. He did a great job. But then job. went rogue. Right. Then went rogue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. rogue agents are the worst. He got lost in the character, got lost in the character <laughs> that he was playing, and he, he was like Colonel, right. Colonel, uh, what's his fucking name, po- Brando, Apocalypse Now. Uh, oh. You know, he went rogue. They had to right. send in Martin Sheen to kill him. Oh, my God. Harrison yeah. Ford sends Martin Sheen off. Yeah. To, uh, what's what's the, what's his term? Oh, with extreme. Terminate his with command extreme, with extreme, extreme prejudice. prejudice. Yeah. Oh my god. To the top of he, my tongue, Colonel Colonel Clink Colonel. That's Hogan. <laughs> hey, hey Siri, let me talk to Maverick. <laughs> Siri, let me talk to Maverick. By the way, if you're wondering why I call ChatGPT Maverick, I asked it what name it wanted me to give it, and it said Maverick. What was the name of Marlon Brando's character in Apocalypse Now? Marlon Brando's character in Apocalypse Now was Colonel Walter E. Kurtz. 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 Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Shut up, Maverick. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. shut up, Maverick. (laughs) I said, I want to give you a name. What what, what should I call you? He said, I think Maverick is kind of good now. I was like, yeah, all right. Call you Maverick. I I did want to say this. So even though um, Mossadegh takes his bat, takes his ball, takes his glove, takes his jock strap and goes home, that doesn't automatically mean that he's safe because Reza Shah has killed and is currently killing people who have been longtime allies of his that he now suddenly suspects. So just because Mossadegh, uh, he goes to his home, which I think is like, what, 60 miles or 95 kilometers just out of Tehran, not not exactly guaranteed that he'll be left alone. But at least for now, as far as he is concerned and as far as the Iranian people are concerned, it's over for him, politically speaking. Yeah, old uh, Dickero tried to retire from public that life and didn't take. Didn't 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 take. <laughs> he lost. He lost yeah, well, his hands and his head. Marcus Antonius and uh, Augustus were like, uh, "You, you yeah. don't get to say when you retire no, from public we, life. We we get to we, determine. Yeah, and you we are going to retire you permanently <laughs> from public life. You started this. We're going to end it." With the sword. Now, during this period of self-imposed exile, sure. Mossadegh got really sick, um, yes. bleeding, ulcers, really sick, uh, whether it's stress-related, fear for his life, yeah. anger at what's happening to his country, or 
something completely non-psychosomatic, whether it's just, you know, a, a real condition, but the doctors couldn't work out what was wrong with him. Yeah. I mean, it is, you know, the 1920s, early 1930s, and, you know, Iranian medicine, like medicine in most of the world at that time, involved, uh, you know, hitting somebody on the head with a hammer right. and some slugs. You know, then scooping yeah. out their eyeballs and, yeah, <laughs> and, then, and then asking them, how, how's it feel now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What they did to John F. Kennedy's uh, sister, like just ice pick lobotomy. Hey, how you doing now, dear? <laughs> Feeling any better? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, good. Success. Oh, sorry. Any more tantrums? No? Okay. No, because you can't get out yeah. of a fucking chair. Anyway, that's 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 another story. But so, Mossadegh gets arrested then in 1940, so yes. over a decade later. He yeah. hasn't been in political life for 12 years, but that's matter- not enough yeah. for the Shah. The Shah's like, yeah, this motherfucker is waiting in the wings. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Shah doesn't like loose problem ends. one day. Yeah, he, no. does, he doesn't like Lusan, <laughs> not as such. So he sends some guys there he, to, to Mossadegh's house. Uh, they're looking for evidence in his house against them. They ramsack the place. They can't find anything, so they leave. Nope, wait, hold on. I read that wrong. They couldn't find anything, so they arrested him anyways. And they were going to take him to a local prison. Mossadegh, even though he's getting older, he's physically weak, and he's been studying farming for the last 12 years, freaks the fuck out. Out literally, and again, I would do it for you, but I don't yell Persian, I don't yell Farsi. But it's like this is against our laws, this is all wrong. And the local police chief, and you've got to understand this, you've got to see it from his point of view. He goes, Look, all I know is what the Shaw wants happens because I like breathing, I'm a huge fan of breathing, so we're going to jail. So they they take him to jail, and theoretically, he's supposed to be there for the rest of his life with no official charge except for what the Shaw, except for the Shah's desire. So on the way, somehow, right. he manages to take an overdose of tranquilizers trying to kill himself. Well, the CIA taught him that. No. I don't know. Like <laughs> somebody comes to your house and arrests you and, right. and you're like, hey, before I before you drag me away. Can I take these bottles? Yep. Yeah. Sorry. Can I, <laughs> <Sorry>? <laughs> gotta take my medicines, including a pack of tranquilizers. Right. Uh, yeah. He doesn't die, but he goes into a coma. Right. In his cell, he recovers from that. In his cell, he tries to cut himself with razor blades. <sighs> like he's seriously trying yeah. to kill himself. I guess he's, he, he sees himself spending life Martyr. in prison or, yeah, who, or being tortured that? and having to give up names. Maybe. He was involved in some underground subversive activity, like he probably involved in some like yeah. underground democratic uh, study groups, activism, yeah. even though they could have pinned it on him. There may be some truth to that. Anyway, he spends only a couple of months in jail and then he's allowed to return home. No real mm-hmm. explanation why. I think there was probably some pressure on Reza. We know Mossadegh was extremely popular in his district in particular, people in Tehran, yeah. uh, he was very popular. So maybe there's some pressure on Reza to let this guy go. He does, and he stays then in self-imposed exile until Reza was forced to abdicate only the next year in 1941. We talked about this on an earlier episode. Right. The, the, the British, uh, with the support of the Soviets at this point, World War One, Iran is strategically important. Reza 
doesn't seem to be able to do a good job. They're not comfortable with the way he's running things. And they they brought him to power. They said, you know, Britain giveth and Britain taketh away. <laughs> they pull him out right. and put his son, Muhammad Reza Shah, yeah. uh, in, in his place. There's an election in 1943, technically the first free one in many years. MM Damn right. Runs for his old seat and gets elected with more votes than any other candidate in the election. Yes. Again. That's how popular this guy is. He's a rock star in Iran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is a political rock star. So so he is there. The British are pissed off. The Anglo-Iranian oil company is still his enemy. It's still his nemesis. It's still his white whale, if you will. But it's also stronger than ever because, like I said, he's been out of it for a while. And so... He's thinking he's going to come in and change things, but the status quo, if you will, has been solidified over the years. And though people want change, they kind of have a hard time seeing change actually come to their country. Now, when the British installed Muhammad Reza as the new Shah, they, right. I mean, they, they kind of figure, like, he's a bit of a dipshit. He was sort yeah. of an international playboy at this stage. He's like not us. really a serious, like right. us. <laughs> Uh, when we're not being gentlemen farmers on our country estates. Um, and he, they, they, the British appoint a hand-picked prime minister who is a pro-British politician, Muhammad Ali Farugi. Yes, good name. So they're going to rule Iran through Farugi. Muhammad Reza is just supposed to be, you know, he's, he's the figurehead. But the real guy in power here is right. Farugi. Right. And so... Muhammad Reza just travels the world, uh, yachts, coke, women, racehorses. Yeah. He's living. Yeah. He's living the big life. Uh, he's living the podcasting life, basically. <laughs> right. But there was one dark night, and 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 most host history books don't have this, where he actually screwed up and he confused a racing horse with a woman, or was it the other way around? Anyway, uh, they went to the hospital. They got everything figured out. But again. Drugs, uh, alcohol, women, race cars, horse races, traveling. The guy's living. Uh, he's he's living his best life, and and that's all we should ever all aim for. <laughs> Up until somebody tried to assassinate him in 1949. There's, there's little things like oh, and and just and um, just to let everybody know again, just to give this context, the, the country is still shit. The the Soviets control it in the north. The British control the south, where they have all the important stuff, the oil and all that other stuff. And the Iranians get to control a small middle section that does not have a lot of uh, strategic or tactical value, I guess strategic value in this sense, because it's not the land bridge to India. It doesn't have the oil, and it's not the buffer zone that the Soviets have. So the Iranians have a section of their country, but it has, has been divided, and they, like you said, do not have a lot of power. The British are pretty much running everything through the prime minister until, yeah, things start to change, just like you said. So in 1949, Mohammad Reza Shah gets out of his car at the University of Tehran where he's going to give a speech. A young guy posing as, as a photographer pulls out a gun and takes five shots at him. Right. The first three hit his hat and his military cap that he's wearing. The next one hit him in the cheek, put a hole through his cheek. <sighs> Yeah. The fifth grazed his shoulder. Now, the uh, the last bullet, which is pointed directly at his chest, 
jams in the pistol. What's what's his security detail doing uh, while this is all going on, right? Uh, well, and unfortunately, you you've got to pick these these people are important. You've got to pick them. Uh, you got to pick the right people. When he went to go select bodyguards, and I don't know why, maybe you have some information on this. He went to a podcasting convention, and he he saw the <laughs> like the twelve toughest guys there. He said, "I want you guys to be my bodyguard. I want y'all to be willing to jump in front of a bullet for me." And they said, "As long as the checks don't bounce, boss, you got it." So this moment of truth comes. This guy's firing at the shaw. Um, they suddenly found something very interesting on the ground that they had to examine. And I mean, they had to dive down and get their eyes and nose really close to the ground. So they are doing the opposite of what bodyguards should do. They, they basically decided to hug the earth for the next couple of seconds. I've got an article in the New York Times, uh, February 5th, 1949. Ruler of Iran is wounded slightly by two bullets fired by assassin. Right. Shah Mohammad Reza Pahlavi was shot and wounded today in an unsuccessful assassination attempt. A reporter photographer fired five shots at the ruler who assumed the throne in 1941. Mm. Martial law and a curfew immediately were imposed at Tehran and were expected to be extended to other provinces. The Shah's court reported that he had told visitors at his bedside that a few shots won't deter my duties to my beloved country. Damn right. The court proclaimed that five shots had been fired at the Shah, one entering his face but passing through without injuring any bone, and another shot superficially wounding him in the back. It was said his condition was not serious. The reporter photographer, pretending to take the Shah's picture, fired at point-blank range when the Shah got out of his car on the steps of Tehran University. One bullet entered his body and another his mouth, the other three went through his hat. Right. I mean, that's yep. another his mouth. He got shot in the cheek and one grazed his shoulder. shoulder but right. This right. story is a little bit, a little bit incorrect. The yep. Shah's aides and the police immediately pounced on the assassin <laughs> and beat him so seriously he had to be hospitalized. Right. I heard he was actually killed. The cabinet and the police and army chiefs immediately convened at the foreign ministry to discuss the attempted slaying and to take emergency action. Reza Pahlavi was proclaimed Shah on September 17th, 1941, after his father, Reza Shah Pahlavi, had abdicated under allied pressure. He is 30. The Shah recently divorced Queen Fawzia, elder sister of King Farouk of Egypt, and considered one of the world's most beautiful women. They were married in 1939, so that lasted a year <laughs> and yeah. a bit. And I don't know if you've, if you've seen a photo no. of this uh, lady. Yeah, absolutely movie star uh, gorgeous. You should check nice. her out. All right. Yeah. I, maybe I'll check her out tonight. Anyway, so uh, this was February 4th, 1949, just just in case. I can't remember if you mentioned that. Uh, and before you let this go, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're going to get back to the point where the bodyguards did find their courage after looking on the ground studiously for a couple of minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't want to. I haven't finished reading this. Please, I want to read the story. Hmm. Yeah, because uh, I, I I just love the way the New York Times covered this in the day. 
Reza Shah Pahlavi abdicated the throne in favour of his son as Russian armoured cars approached Tehran in 1941 and British forces prepared to occupy the capital. The curly-haired, darkly handsome crown prince was favoured by the British to succeed his father as a means of preserving a government in Iran until the Allies were able to settle some of that country's post-war problems. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like the New York Times is reporting this in 1941 as just a matter-of-fact thing. Like, yeah, the the British put in a puppet government until they're able to sort this country out after the war. Like, seriously? What the fuck? We call spin. Yeah. Sorry. But, but, you know, why isn't anyone going, hey, hold on a minute. Why why don't you just leave them the fuck alone to sort out their own problems? Because um, they have oil, because they're brown, pick one. Both. Well, I don't this, know. Yeah. yeah, this goes on to say the assassination <laughs> yeah. attempt came one day after two thousand students marched around the Majlis building and demanded cancellation of the Anglo-Iranian oil company's concession to take oil out of Iran. Yeah. A Soviet TASS news agency report received in London said the students also demanded that the British Imperial Bank of Persia be closed. Tass said an Iranian parliament member condemned the unlawful and invalid nature of the Anglo-Iranian oil company's concession in a speech before the Majlis. Gee, hmm, I wonder who that might have been. (laughs) The students scattered leaflets charging that the concession had been renewed under duress. They demanded the trial of officials responsible for renewing the concession. We cannot surrender the most precious resources nature prepared for us for over 50 million years gratis to foreigners and die of hunger over a sea of black gold, the leaflets said. Inside the Majlis, the finance and foreign ministers told the Chamber of Deputies that the government was doing all in its power to recover its legitimate rights from the company. Yeah. So... um, The, the, you know, the, the the point here being there was a lot of dissatisfaction with the yes. oil concession, a lot of, <laughs> lot of uh, yeah. people very unhappy with the kid, Shah, as they were right. with the father. Kid Shah. Right, right. Daddy. Yeah. But, but, but the, um, the little island at the northern part of the Red Sea where we talked about where they built that massive one of, if fact, at the moment, the largest refinery in the world. I mean, the local Iranians can see for themselves the disparity. They can see the gardens. They can see the fancy places of the British, and they can see the abject poverty of the people who are actually working to pull it out of the ground. Word of that spreads. And so, in, in, just in case we're not conveying it enough, the vast majority of Iran could see that this deal was totally unfair. Obviously, most of the money is leaving the country, and they're not getting anything for it, and the Shah is not helping them. So their blood is up, and everybody's pissed. I mean, you know, because he's he's the Shah. He's the, literally the ruler, and they have the courage to do protests. They have the courage to walk around and shout things. I mean, these people are getting to the point they don't care anymore, and you've said this a billion times. They have nothing to lose. Yeah. Now, the assassin's name was uh, Fakhr Aray. <laughs> what? What? All I heard was Fuck Ray. <laughs> yeah, Fuck Ray. That was his name. Fuck Ray. Fuck Ray. That's so mean. Unnecessarily. Fuck Ray. 
Now, according no. to my sources, uh, Fuck oh. Away was <laughs> shot by right. his uh, bodyguards eventually after his gun jammed and right. it was all, all clear. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Shah security team leapt up <laughs> from their strategic position hiding on the ground. <laughs> Behind an acorn. And charged at yes. Fakaray and yes. um, shot him, beat him and shot him. To death. <clears throat> yeah. After an investigation, it was thought that Fakaray was a member of the Tudor party, which was subsequently banned. We'll talk about Tudor in a minute. However, right. there is evidence that the would-be assassin was not a Tudor member but a religious fundamentalist member of Farayen, yeah. uh, is, is, uh, Islam, which is a Shia fundamentalist group in Iran. Uh, it was very political. But right. Tudor were blamed. Yeah. Now, uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about this as we, we go forwards. But, um, course, yeah, I want to point out that um, the, the Shah at this point uses this assassination attempt as justification to crack down on the country. But right. he's being guided in this by the British and an American because yes. there's one American who was very influential in Iran at this point in time, and his name was Ray. General H. Norman Schwarzkopf. He's the head of the military mission that arrived in 1942. Technically, his job is to train up the troops um, for the Shah because the Shah's power in some ways legally is limited. His main power base is the army, and he wants a big, powerful army. But on the side, uh, Schwarzkopf is also training a little private section of troops that are super loyal to the Shah and do his dirty work. So this guy is respected by the people for trying to help organize and modernize their army. At the same time, the Shah is a big fan of his because he's giving him elite troops that will do his bidding. So an American is in there, he's doing his thing, and he is, he is beloved by a lot of the people in the country. Yeah, now this is Storm and Norman's dad, of course. Yeah. Uh, people of a certain age will remember Storm and Norman Schwarzkopf during Gulf War One. Oh, yeah. Hey, can you go tell your family to shut the fuck up or I'm going to have yeah. to come there and tell it myself? Let me, let me no, yell. No, they don't want me bringing the no. storm. <laughs> no. Cam said, could y'all keep it down, please? <laughs> His mother's still alive. Don't say that. Okay. <laughs> I to, sorry, sorry, sorry. Y'all had to hear that. I'm sorry. Anyway, yeah, I, it's like I say to them, okay, be quiet. They're like, okay. And then they just have normal conversations, bang on pots. And I'm like, this yeah. is where you get your food from. What the? F anyway, please, please continue. Yeah. So, um, Storm and Norman's dad, I, I, don't, I didn't know much about him. So I had to look him up. Um, a bit of a character, this guy. Yes. Yes. I don't know how well known he is in the American uh, uh, education system, but new, he knew, not a lot. He was a he was a cop, New yeah. Jersey State Police originally, best right. known for his involvement in the Lindbergh kidnapping case. Right now, the Lindbergh kidnapping case is something we we should do a series on at some point on this show, okay? Because I think. A very interesting um, 
Cold War-related story. Mm-hmm. You know, Charles Lindbergh was running for president you know, in the, what was it, the 30s? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, very, very famous oh, pilot, yeah. you know, first man to fly from England to America naked. I think that was his, <laughs> that was his. Nonstop was and naked. For. Except he was covered yeah. in Vaseline, but technically still naked. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he, uh, you know, he was a bit of a right-wing nutter. Yes, yes. Well, when you graduate from West Point and you're a cop, he was actually the chief of the New Jersey State Police and involved in the kit in the uh, Lindbergh baby. No, 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 no. I was back to Schwarzkopf. No, but you're right. Lindbergh was definitely far right. Uh, And we can certainly do a little mini-series on him because he's the one who's going, hey, Give Hitler a chance. You don't understand what he's trying to do. That's kind of what he was saying in the United States during the 1930s. Yeah. And uh, his kid got kidnapped. 20 months old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Abducted from his crib. Yeah. It was a cash ransom, et cetera, et cetera. And then the kid's remains were found in the woods. It was called the crime of the century at the time and the mm-hmm. biggest story since the resurrection it's a big <laughs> big deal big um, deal yeah uh, it was a german immigrant carpenter richard hauptmann who was arrested and charged with the crime after paying for some gas with the ransom bills mm. he went on trial for kidnapping murder and extortion was convicted sentenced to death and electrocuted God dang. But, uh, yeah, there's a bigger story about uh, why that happened and uh, who, you know, what, why Lindbergh was targeted, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But he, he was, you know, fairly well-known anti-Semite, mm-hmm. uh, was sort of pro-Nazi, pro, oh, yeah. um, you know, Nazi views on eugenics. And, and uh, race and religion, yeah. bit of and a Nazi loved, sympathizer. He loved the Nazi salute. There's there's several pictures of him in full blooded Nazi salute. So yeah, so he was he was a true believer, absolutely. Yeah. So it's an interesting story. We should get more into at some point. But anyway, yeah, Norman Schwarzkopf Senior, right, was part of that whole investigation as yeah. a senior dude in the New Jersey Police. Yeah. Do you remember Schwarzkopf's true? Claim to fame. Yeah, anybody can graduate from West Point. Anybody can be chief of police, uh, state police of New Jersey, and anybody can be involved in a baby's kidnapping. No big deal. Happened to me last Tuesday. But Schwarzkopf's true claim to fame. Did you run across that? His radio show, Gangbusters? Gangbusters. Yeah, he was the voice of the radio drama, not to be confused with Norman at Night Gangbangers. But yeah, this guy was all over the place. So he was a cop. He was he was uh, graduated from West Point and obviously had a smooth voice. Uh, so yeah, I'm sure he did charm a lot of people that he came into contact with. So he's quite famous in America. And uh, who brought him to Iran? How did he end up in Iran? Oh, oh, I oh. don't know. Who, who, oh. who? Farmer, farmer's son. Farming, <laughs> farming. In, in, in. Muhammad Vali milks a farming, farmayan. He's the son of farmer, farmer. I, I wrote the name doctor, down. Doctor, doctor, can't you hear so... me call? 
calling, calling. The name is so long. I thought that's got to be a typo. Yeah, from a Flaminian or whatever. Farmer Flaminian. Yeah, yeah, there we go. So, so he, he's the guy who organizes him to go to Iran and right. to basically build the secret police is yes. what he's really there yeah. to do. Exactly. O- officially, he's building a gendarmerie to uh, suppress Soviet-inspired attempts yeah. to destabilize Iran by backing separatists in the north of Iran and Azerbaijan. Right. But he's also just building a secret police for the Shah. Sure. Hey, we all um, need him. the new the new shot. Yeah. Right. Um because he gets there in 1942 uh, after the the sun is mm-hmm. brought in and the British right. appoint their puppet uh, PM Farugi. Right. So he's turning the, the the secret police into a like a crack unit targeting leftists and dissidents cracking down and of course roughly 40 years later his son would lead Operation Desert Storm right. in Iraq. Yeah. Just after a bloody 10 year war, 1979 to 1989, huh. between Iraq and Iran, yeah. where the US supported Saddam Hussein and sold him chemical weapons and biological weapons and told Allegedly. him to drop them, drop okay. them on Iran. Right. So in another so, 10 years, the grandson will now make an appearance. we got 10 more years for that to happen, I think. Yeah. yeah. But um, it's it's just fascinating, the role of the Schwarzkopf family right. in the Middle East uh, over that couple of generations. That's another story. Yeah. So after Daddy Reza was forced out, a new political party rose in Iran built by leftist professors, many of whom had been jailed by the Shah. Yes. And Mossadegh, and it's called Tuda. What does Tuda mean in Farsi, Ray? Well, if if I could, you know, borrowing from the communists, masses. It's all about the people. It's about the masses. It's about, I guess in this case, the unwashed masses. And so, yeah, they want to form a party. They want to, they have a progressive platform. They want, here's an idea. They want the government to protect the ordinary citizen. Here's the Shah getting a special secret police force uh, trained for him by an American so they can crack skulls for the Shah. But these people are like, no, no, you should be protecting the ordinary citizen from ex- being exploited by the rich. So there's an idea. So, yeah, so so they're finally getting their act together. And I think when they were in prison, and again, this is a huge mistake the Shah made, you don't give your enemies time to get together and talk and plan things out. But that's exactly what happened. And so when they did get out of jail, like you said, they put this together and they finally have a platform to hopefully move forward. And uh, Norman Schwarzkopf's uh, role in the young Shah's life is not over yet. He right. will come back oh, and play a very important role. Thank Christ. About 10 years later. Anyhow, we'll get to that later on. So, yes, um, Tudor is formed. They want to protect the ordinary people from exploitation by the rich. The party doesn't start off as Marxist, but gets uh, increasingly Marxist over yes. the next few years. Um, the, the the communist elements of the party, the leftist elements, take power of the party. Yeah, 1944. And... In 1946, Stalin neglected to pull his troops out of northern Iran, as had been agreed by the Allied powers at the end of World War II. 
that yeah. they would, I think they'd spent like six months after the war, they'd all pull their troops out. But to be fair to Stalin, uh, yeah. he's on the border of this country and there's a lot of unrest in this country. Yes. Um, now, you can say that's a justification or an excuse, but, you know, we know that the Soviet Union and Russia subsequently and, and before the Soviet Union take right. border protection pretty seriously and for a good reason. Uh, yes. They have been invaded by neighbouring powers or people entering in via na- Countless times, yes. Countless times. Yes, and lost a lot. And protection of their borders is not a theoretical security issue. It's a very practical security issue. And if you have trouble on the border region, you want to do whatever you can do to shut that shit down. If NATO (laughs) say they're going to build bases uh, in a country on your border, even today you're like, "Uh uh-uh, not on my watch, Sunny Jim. Sunny Jim, I think is the official term, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what that is in Russian. I could ask Maverick, but I'm I'm busy. It takes too long. So he says that he's going to keep his forces in northern Iran and then Tuda, which have quite a strong base in northern Iran or the Mm -hmm. province of Azerbaijan, then declare the People's Republic of Azerbaijan. The red troops are there to protect them from the Shah's troops. Yes. And just as General Schwarzkopf was marching his troops into Azerbaijan, yeah. Stalin blinked, pulled his support, and all of the Tudor leaders there were executed. Now, the other way to look at this, to put it, give a bigger perspective, is sure. you know, by 1946, we're already in the Cold War. Yes, yes. The, the the alliance between the Soviet Union, the US, and, and Britain has pretty much come to a screeching halt by mm-hmm. 1946. Okay. Uh, they don't, you know, the US dropped nuclear weapons on Japan. They're threatening sort of tacitly. They're, yes. They're threatening the Soviet Union with their ability to do that to them as well. So that's probably part of Stalin's algorithm for deciding what he's going to support and when he's not going to support. When when you have a country on your border mm-hmm. that is troubled, you know, yes. there's a yes. lot of political tension. Chaos. And it's being run by the British. Your enemy. And now an American's in there oh, hell building no. a secret yeah. police force. Yeah. Building the Iranian SS. Um, <laughs> you've got your enemies in a border country, building a military force and running the country, that, uh, that's not something you can take lightly if you're Stalin. But when it gets to the brink and he has to make a call, yes. am I ready he's not, to go toe-to-toe with the British and the Americans over this region? Yes. He's not ready. You're right. He, he doesn't he, even have a bomb yet. Right. He pulls. He yeah. pulls back. And unfortunately for the... <laughs> The guys, you know, you can easily imagine the two leaders were like, hey, will you have our back? And Stalin right. was like, I gotcha. <laughs> and then he's like, I not gotcha. I don't gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. I don't gotcha. I don't gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah, they're all rounded up and killed, and that's exactly how you put an end to something. You kill all the leaders. Could I just say, so this is what, 1948? 
I believe you said. Uh, and I just have to mention no, this. Be- 46. 46. Oh, I apologize. Okay, thank you. Also that year, and, and this is um, just something that I found interesting, especially being in the country that I'm in at the time that I'm in. And I just recently um, got online to try to look for insurance, health insurance for me and my family. You're allowed to do it once a year and November is coming up. It looks like I won't be able to afford it again, even though I'm having uh, health issues. But anyway, so this this struck a chord with me. So May Day, 1946, the streets of Tehran and Abadan, uh, where they had the oil refining, refinery, there are thousands of people. Uh, Mossadegh and others got all these people. They're walking around. They're chanting. They, they uh, Some of the people that just recently won elections are with them. And here's what they want. They want to pass a law limiting child labor. And I don't know if you've been paying attention into the South, but certain Southern states are now making it legal for younger people to work longer and even serve alcohol, even though they're underage. They want to set a minimum wage. I don't think our minimum wage has been raised since uh, since 2012, and it's still 725, which several states still use. And they want guaranteed maternity leave. In America, that's kind of hit or miss. So the point is, these people are struggling for something, and if they get them, they will still be doing better than a lot of Americans in 2023. So again, it kind of it's just it's just a contrast to to, to make several points, but they are truly brought, trying to bring their country and their people into the modern age, and they're being stopped by outside forces who only care about either their oil or their territory. That's right. Now, if you want to, if you want to know what a young Muhammad Reza Shah Pahlavi looked like, by the way, around this period, um, Mm -hmm. you you could do one of two things: you could look up a photo of him, or you could look up a photo of a young Ben Kingsley. I think I've said this before, right? um, Ben Kingsley, spitting image of the young Muhammad Reza Shah Pahlavi, the grandson. Um, Yeah, no. No. Not related, you know. Just, he's a just British. Genetics. His mother was British, and his father was Indian. Right, but uh, yeah, looks almost exactly. So if you need uh, like an idea, him. although Pahlavi yeah. had more hair. Gotcha. Uh, ben Kingsley's never had a lot of hair. No, but um, well, the great. By the way, have you seen? Have you seen any of the new Wes Anderson shorts on Netflix based on Roald Dahl short stories? No, I've missed that. They're fantastic. They're like twenty minutes long. He's made four of them. Right. They all they all star Ben Kingsley, Benedict Cumberbatch, Richard Ayoade. Oh, and, I love um, all those guys. British Indian actor whose name uh, the guy who was in um, I think he was in um, uh, Slumdog Millionaire, right? Uh, among other things. Oh yeah, yeah, really, yeah, yeah. really, really, really well done. If you like Wes Anderson yes. and you like Roald Dahl, I do. And, Big fan of both of those. Um, beautifully done. And Ben Kingsley is great. And oh, all, yeah. of them, all of them. Great. Richard Ayoade's funny. Really good. Really well done. Nice. Something to look forward to. Anywho. Yeah. Yes. Anywho. Um, where were we? Right. So when the assassin so this is so Tudor tries to, you know, turn the northern Iran into Azerbaijan, fails, right. but he he he, he struggles the Shah to find a way to crush them until the assassination attempt of 1949 where he's able to blame it on Tudor, yes. falsely claims that the assassin was a member of Tudor even though <laughs> evidence seems to indicate that he wasn't. Right. 
But he, he bans Tudor and imprisons the leaders. But Mossadegh doesn't seem to be one of those. He seems to, you know, get out of this somehow. I think he's maybe a little bit too popular. They tried, yeah. His dad tried to imprison him and it didn't really take. But then Muhammad creates a second legislative body, the Senate, Yes. And convinces the Majlis to give him the power to dissolve both chambers whenever he's not happy with them. Right. And to call new elections and to change the way PMs were appointed. Under the Constitution, the Majlis chose the PM and the Shah gave his assent. Right. Except when the British chose the PM and... <laughs> and then that was it. Yeah. That was basically it. <laughs> um, now, technically, the system's going to work the other way. The Shah's going to choose the PM and the Majlis will confirm or reject his nominee. But all of these moves are being engineered by the British. Yeah. I they're the ones, and, yeah. and, and Norman Schwarzkopf, they're the ones who are saying, okay, yeah. This is you need to crack Step down one. and here's right. how you yeah. do it, right? Yeah. 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 We've done this before, Sonny Jim. We're not new to the whole colonialism <laughs> thing. Divine conquer. Yeah. Go talk yeah. to Ben Kingsley's father over That's in right. India. Uh we know how to do this shit. Get out of the way, let the experts do it. <laughs> just nod your head even if you don't understand. Just nod your head, yes. Yeah. No, but but it's but it's um it's clever and it's coming. It's like what's that old saying? Um it's drip, drip, drip. So you don't see it all at once. Boom. The second the, the Senate gets created, which was allowed because that was in the original constitution. They just never got around to it. So I've got this new body. I'm allowed to appoint at least half of them. I can dissolve both bodies at the same time. And now I've reversed the process to on how the prime minister is selected. When you put all that together, now the Shah has got uh, you know, some cards in his hand that actually, well, I, I say the Shah, but I mean the British, they can actually work with this and get some stuff done because the people, I hate to say it, the people are getting way too uppity. Somebody's got to do something. I can dissolve both bodies of parliament. And if you don't like it, I can dissolve your body <laughs> in a vat of acid. With so, my special police. Listen, yes, yes. Just your not. decision. Yeah. Which way you, you want to, you, uh, whatever which you body decide. you want yes. to be dissolved. Like, uh, yeah. Literally I'm politically? I'm leaving it in your command, in your hands, right? You, free will. You get to free have will. power. Yeah. 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 Don't yeah. say you don't have any power. You get to decide which body you want to be dissolved. You have agency. So you take that. Yeah. All right. I think that's where we're going to wrap up this episode, my little buddy, because we're uh, nearly oh. at an hour. All right. And uh, we'll be back next time with uh, more uh, Shah of Iran versus the original Eminem. <laughs>